I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with interior designer Linda Boronkay, who's dialing in and joining us from her home in London. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Linda. It's a pleasure to be chatting to you finally. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you. I thought I might start our conversation uh, maybe from actually the very beginnings at your childhood and ask you to tell us a little bit about what that was like for you, your upbringing uh, and any experiences that you may have had early in life that you think perhaps have led you to where you are now with your career? So I was born in Hungary, in Budapest. Um, and um, I was born into a very creative family, um, which obviously as a child, I wasn't fully aware of. Only in hindsight, I, I realized how much, um, how much inspiration that was on me. Um, my father was an architect. Um, he's still alive, luckily, but he's not practicing anymore. And my mother, um, she uh, was so many things. Um, she was an art teacher. She had her own fashion um, uh, shop, uh, boutique. She uh, then later uh, founded a Pulitzer-winning design uh, magazine. She was a journalist. Um, and she was, um, above all, a very... Um, passionate collector of antiques and interesting objects and art and so that had a you know major impact on my upbringing and you know the the world that surrounded me um, I grew up in a house that my father uh, designed and and built and uh, and it was filled with all these incredible antique furniture pieces and lighting and sculptures uh, from ancient Greece to to modern contemporary um, times, um, different crazy colors and textures. And, and um, you know, my earliest memories with my mother is that um, she used to take me to all the vintage fairs around Budapest, or if we went to the countryside um, for the summer, where we had a country house, um, you know, the, the daily routine consisted of us driving around and visiting all the local antique shops, which as a child, obviously, I didn't enjoy as much, but um, it had a huge impact on me. And, um, and while I was um, determined to be a fashion designer from a very young age, um, I later had the chance to work in fashion and then I diverted to interior design and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was because of my upbringing. That sounds wonderful and also very formative. Uh, wh where did you end up studying and what did you study? Um, I left high school and after high school I, I moved to Paris um, and that's when I started working in fashion. I was a model um, and I was based in Paris. Um, my mother agency was in Paris which means that they are your base and they send you um, to other agencies around the world if they if you want to go or if, if you know other agencies request your presence um, so I I spent the the next few years just traveling around the world I lived um, all around Europe and then New York and uh, a brief time in Tokyo and Sydney and 
you know, I, I just loved modeling for that or, you know, giving me the chance to see the world and seeing beautiful, interesting cultures and meeting interesting people. And I found that an incredible experience. Um, and then um, later I, um, I started um, studying fashion. I did a foundation degree in Paris and um, and I was still modeling at the time, but I, I slowly realized that um, I, I can't really do a, a part-time study, part-time fashion uh, career. I, I need to fully focus on my on my studies, and um, and then I also realized that fashion is probably not necessarily the best uh, line of work for me. I um, I, I found it very uh, harsh and um, ever changing, and um, and I, I was looking for something that is still you know something that has to do with concepts and aesthetics and colors and textures but um maybe a more ephemeral uh, more timeless um way and and that's when i i decided to to move to london and study there um in london metropolitan university um interior design so early on in your career i guess after graduating i think you worked with tara bernard tom dixon and martin brunitsky at different times can you talk a little bit about um you know what you what experiences that stand out to you that you took away from each of those different studios and practices yeah so i was really really fortunate because i had so many different experiences from from various different companies and, and styles um the first of all, my first experience as a professional was um, that I, I started my own company while I was still in university. Um, uh, one day, my my head tutor um, pulled me aside and given me a leaflet, which was um, a competition. And um, the competition theme was focusing on residential design. And in my course, we were, you know, focusing on on commercial predominantly. So she couldn't really uh, make it part of our curriculum. Um, it was a competition that called for um, freshly graduated um, professionals or or people who have less than three to five years experience and um, the competition was called Britain's Best Emerging Interior Designer um, and it was a very prestigious award it was um, you know part of the, the British Institute of Interior Design and um, Tom Dixon was part of the judging panel and um, and I decided to to enter and um, and then finally I got shortlisted and then I won the award which was an amazing um, exposure for me. Obviously, a lot of articles uh, came out about it. Um, I, I, I managed to, you know, have a, um, an exhibition stand at 100% Design and during London Design Festival, where they exhibited my um, winning entry. And, um, and that's when I first met Tom Dixon. And um, he's a very lovely man. And um, we um, just said hello and introduced myself. And, and then that was it. But um, and then that's when I, I started my own car career because that was kind of a kickstart. Um, I still finished my studies. I, I, that was during my second year in uni. So I still had another year or so to do. Um, but I did that parallel to my own company. And for some reason, we stayed in touch with Tom. Um, he had some um, upcoming projects in Budapest. So he came to visit with his um his, his colleagues so um he was obviously not very um well you know um he wasn't very familiar with with budapest so i i, sh I showed him around i i tried to brief him around you know the history and the culture and you know giving him some uh, 
pointers for for his project um and then yeah for this reason we kind of you know every few months we were in touch and then i didn't find working for myself at the time without any experience um very rewarding or or exciting i was you know doing some projects which were amazing but i didn't have a team i didn't really know how to do it i just kind of made it up as i went um and i i felt like i i need to join a company a bigger establishment to to re really learn the ropes um and i also knew my, about myself that i'm a very social person so i i would strive in a in a company with a team and so i asked Tom Dixon and he he proposed um, to do an internship in his studio. So that's when I first joined um, his studio, which uh, is called Design Research Studio, which is the interior design part of the company. And um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, Tom Dixon was obviously my idol at the time. And um, we had some fantastic projects all around the world. The team was quite small, so I learned a lot. Um, and I was there for nearly a year and then towards the end um when they extended my internship a few times um uh he proposed that i work for him directly so i was um i was his project manager his designer his um everything um for a project he was working on for himself um, which was the conversion of a water tower near his studio to a uh, dwelling house and we, we also were involved in some other private projects that he was doing on the side in the south of france and morocco and so on so it was an amazing experience um and then after that i um, i joined martin brudniski um who's an absolute icon and um, a very different style of design that he represents um i had to work really hard to understand his aesthetic and his approach. Um, he's very meticulous and um, precise. And, um, you know, he, he was running a really big studio, like over 45, 50 people in London. And I joined him as an FNE &E, um, associate designer, which means that um, we would have to come up with all the concepts the finishes, the aesthetic, and the storyline, the, the fabrics, um, to, down to the piping details, um, designing bespoke furniture and lighting that was, um, at, you know, absolutely expected from all FFNE designers at Martin's studio. So we did a lot of bespoke pieces. And um, that's when I first um, had the chance to to, to, to meet the Soho House brand and also um, some other brands that were run by Richard Caring, who's, you know, doing fish, Sexy Fish and Annabelle's in London and the Ivy restaurants. And, you know, he's a very big player in the hospitality scene in, here in London. So, yeah, that was amazing. And I would have stayed, I guess, forever um, if I didn't move to Sydney. And, um, and I made the move. Uh, with my then boyfriend, and um, and, I, and that's when I started working uh, for Woods Baggett and uh, in their Sydney studio. You just mentioned Soho House a little bit earlier. Um, so you ended up actually as their in-house design director. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, journey of, you know, all of those incredible experiences? How did you then end up at Soho House and how did you end up in the position that you were before you eventually left? Yes, it's a quite um, incredible serendipitous story, to be honest. Um, I um, 
like I said, I, I, I went and, and worked for Woods Baggett for over two years in Sydney. And after that time, we decided to move back to London and I started working for Tara Bernard, um, who's an amazing designer and she's doing so much work for the best hotels all around the world. And um, at the time I was working on a Four Seasons um, for her, um, and but she's doing Belmont and, you know, all the best um, brands really. And so it was an amazing workplace. Um, but then one day I got an email. Um, it was, you know, very close to my actual birthday. Um, and it was just two lines saying, hi, how are you? Um, um, we're looking for a design director at Soho House. I'm not sure if you're interested. And I was, I honestly thought that it's a spam or someone's just um, <laughs> making a joke. Um, but it was coming from a, from a, not a friend, but an acquaintance who actually was um, someone I replaced at Martin Brudniski when I started there. So this was a guy who, you know, we had a lot of friends in common and I knew about him because he was um, design director at Soho House at the time. And so he reached out to me and we met um, and he was basically saying that um, he's very, he's overwhelmed. He's, um, he's the UK and Europe design director and um, they have so many projects and the company is really, you know, growing fast and he's looking for a right hand person who can help him and, and eventually become a, a UK design director. And so obviously I was very interested. Um, we started the discussions, but then two days later I left to India um, for a backpacking um, um, trip with my with my boyfriend and um, and we left it at that. And I was hoping that it would still work out and they would still, you know, consider me even though I was away for so long. Um, but then luckily it worked out. And then I, I started working at Soho House as head of design initially, um, the beginning of February in 2016. And I, I remember, you know, I remember the first day so clearly like it was yesterday. Um, and, um, you know, it was a very daunting experience. Um, the, the headquarters uh, for Soho House design was at the time in, um, in a building next to Dean Street townhouse. And the design team was all like, crammed in this basement room, you know, it was an open plan office where designers, architects, uh, graphic designers, um, people from operations um, and Nick, Nick Jones and his um, inner circle were sitting. And um, I just remember walking in and being given this list of projects that I would be responsible for and, you know, meeting the team and um, seeing the, <laughs> the library and you know it was just such an overwhelming day that I just couldn't wait until 6 p.m and I just ran off and I couldn't even say goodbye to anyone because I was so like panicked and overwhelmed and I felt like oh my god this how am I gonna do this um but um you know it worked out and um I was there for a long time and within six months I I did become a design director for UK and then shortly after to Europe as well and then to Asia within a year i was a uk grew up in asia basically and then after that the, the team just started to grow really fast because we had so many projects in the pipeline and a lot of openings and the way uh, we did design was so bespoke and it involved a lot of work and a lot of um, traveling not just because of the various sites but because we um, sourced all the vintage pieces ourselves so it was a very hands-on process and it often included um, um, people having to move to certain countries or cities for the projects. So, uh, for example, when we did Soul House Amsterdam, the lead, 
interior architect. Um, she lived, she moved to Amsterdam for over a year, and so did the FFNE lead for over six months. And you know, um, they just you know, we rented a flat for them and they, they lived there and it just helped so much with the design process as well, you know, understanding that culture and walking the streets and getting inspiration, you know, from the neighborhood firsthand. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible uh, few years. Mm, I love the sound of that. <laughs> so you <laughs> mentioned earlier about the process of setting up your own studio very early on. Uh, and some of the drawbacks that came with that. But you left Soho House and you, you set up your own studio again or went out again uh, in 2020, I think. Um, I, I'm curious to know why you felt it was different this time round and how you found that transition from, yeah, somewhere like Soho House and those incredible experiences and, and I imagine the resources that you would have had on hand. How's that um, transition been to running your own studio again? Yeah, I mean, it's a super different experience. Um, you know, 12 years have passed since I started my first studio and um, I just had so much more experience and confidence. And um, especially, you know, those few years at Soho House, it was like a boot camp um, in terms of, you know, I had to open so many projects, it was over 20 projects um, that, you know, some designers can only do during a lifetime. And so, I, to be honest, I, it wasn't something that I was working towards to like consciously for years. Uh, it wasn't an end goal that I want to set up my own studio one day again. But so many different circumstances just happened in the same time that it really, I, the path was, you know, made up, made for me. And I just had to walk through that door. It wasn't something that um, I, I was working towards to um, actively. But, you know, I became a mom, um, the pandemic hit, um, a lot of the projects and so house um, started to be on hold. Um, my team started to shrink. Um, I got stuck in Australia because of the pandemic, which was an amazing experience. But then again, I felt so far removed from, from the company that I was going to go back to after maternity leave. And, and in the same time, I, I started to get some really interesting opportunities to to work on some projects that, you know, were very intriguing. And, you know, I just absolutely, it was a very scary decision to make, especially as a young mom in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, some people would think that I'm, I lost my mind, but, um, but it was, it was, it was, it was great. I felt like I have nothing to lose. Um, if it doesn't work out, I'm just gonna take my time and, you know, maybe try something else, but, you know, slowly, slowly we, we, um, we had so many interesting projects coming our way and the team has grown quite fast in a short amount of time and you know we are doing really well and I'm, I'm just enjoying every day I'm just, I just feel like um, I'm just so fortunate to be able to work with people I truly love and they're part of my family and they we also have so much fun just designing and you know being paid for something that is just so much fun. I want to just quickly go back and touch on something that you mentioned earlier, uh, the period of your life where you were modelling and travelling quite a lot and staying, I imagine, in amazing hotels and, and perhaps frequenting uh, equally amazing restaurants. Uh, I'm curious to know whether you think that experience has really shaped your views around um, hotel design or hospitality design. Absolutely. Uh, I, I 
100%. I think, you know, that exposure in that such young age when you're changing still so much and you're just still a sponge that absorbs everything. And those cult- cultural exposures really helped me shape, you know, my aesthetic and my uh, outlook on on life and on, on design and architecture. And, you know, um, I, I did the, all these travels by myself completely. I, I did have agencies in, in, in these cities, but most of the time I was by myself. So I what I would do during my free time is that I would just walk the streets and go to museums and go to galleries and you know, learning about local history and, and culture and trying different foods. And um, I just found that so incredibly, you know, fortunate that I, I can do that and in such young age. And and that's what I find most inspiring now in our work as well. And, um, and that's what I loved, you know, being at Soho House, that I could travel again and see all these places. It's, it was almost like a throwback to modeling years when... I would be on the plane one day to go to Hong Kong because of a project, but then the next week I'm in Mumbai and then I'm going back to Amsterdam and Paris and Rome and, and you know, all these amazing places and meeting interesting people and having wonderful conversations and while designing. I mean, what, what can be better than that? And um, and the fact that I can do that now with my own company as well, under my own ro- rules and um, with the flexibility that that provides, it's um, it's it's really wonderful. And even right now, we have um, about nine projects and um, in seven different countries and four different continents. And and we love that. We love that people come to us from all around the world. And and because of my ex- early experience with traveling and and different cultures, I think I'm I'm much more in tune with you know getting to you know getting to the heart of. Um, different concepts and um, and and briefs and and also you know understanding people because what we do is 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 I was gonna say mostly but maybe all of it is about understanding people and their needs and um, making their life better and enhancing their everyday experiences or or the special experiences but to be able to do a good job you need to really need to understand the core of your client. Um, what they are trying to achieve you know and then that's a very intuitive process. Mm, it's interesting that you've just mentioned that it's about understanding people. I'm, I'm curious to hear whether you would agree. I have an opinion about hotels uh, based on experience that they, they often <laughs> overlook the female guest. Uh, I feel like a lot of hotel rooms are still very much you know, catering towards a male traveller and not necessarily a female traveller or female guest. And I, I wonder whether you would agree with that. And if you do, mm-hmm. you know, do you, or even if you don't, what pet, what pet peeves do you have? Um, I guess I'm talking specifically about guest rooms. Uh, you know, what are the things that really tick you off when you arrive in a new hotel room? I, I yeah, it's a bit of a letdown when you, when you can feel that the developer just tried to squeeze as many rooms in as possible and you can't even turn around with your luggage without scraping the wall and um and when i just hate most when hotel rooms don't have any personalities or characters um i much rather stay in a three-star hotel i just came back from switzerland yesterday and it's it's not the season and it was quite limited of where we could stay and we stayed in this really tiny um humble three-star hotel in the mountains but it has so much character and you know we loved it so much it was almost like walking into a stanley kubrick movie and um 
you know, it's not necessarily for me, it's not necessarily about the level of luxury or the shininess or, you know, sometimes it's appropriate, but for me, it's, it's all about character and giving you an experience and authenticity of, you know, of having a really strong sense of place, no matter where I am in the world, I wake up in the morning in a hotel room and I know, I want to know exactly where I am. I want to feel, you know, I'm, I'm in the bustling heart of Barcelona or in the beautiful mountains of Switzerland, or, you know, I just want to have that experience because, you know, I'm a traveler and I travel for a reason, not, not to stay in the same, you know, square, gray, um, slim contemporary um hotel room that you know can be plot anywhere around the world and you know it's just not it's just not gonna walk away from it feeling like you know oh i had i had an interesting experience <laughs> well so based on all of that i would like to hear what how you would describe what your approach is then to hospitality design i think it's quite clear that um that cl color clearly p uh, plays quite an important role um, but I would love to hear in your words, um, you know, your approach to designing hospitality spaces. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, when we are designing, we are we're always using lots of colors and textures and we're just in love with, um, you know, the, the emotional triggers that, you know, they, these, these tools create. Um, but when you're designing hospitality interiors, uh, you can push the boundaries even further, I think, because people are looking for something that they don't necessarily have at home or they don't necessarily experience every day so for us you know it's it's a very broad question because it always depends on obviously the scope and the brief and the location and and um and the worst is when someone comes to us and says oh i love i don't know so how's mumbai can you do something like that in um, Italy and I'm like no we can't that's absolutely not what we do um, everything has to you know reflect um, the surroundings and um, and the cultural context and the architectural context hopefully if, if the if the project is located in a nice um, architectural you know um, piece of work so for us it's um, it's about creating a fantasy um, while being extremely functional. I think function comes first and foremost. Uh, for us, the, the process always starts with um, understanding how the space needs to work, like how many guests, how many uh, staff, what's the cuisine, um, what's the what's the overarching concept of of the of, of our client. Um, how people will navigate the space, um, what will be the first thing they see when they enter a room, um, how do we wanna, how do we want to um, create a journey for them so that it's a sense of experience, I think, and a sense of discovery. Um, I always like to, I, I always prefer, maybe because I'm, I'm coming from Europe, but um, spaces that are, you know, a series of rooms that, you know, that are all providing a different experience. So it's almost like someone's home. Um, and, um, and, you know, we, we just like to push, um, the experience a little bit further and create really interesting visual links and, and, um, focal points. And we do, um, design a lot of bespoke pieces ourselves still over the years. Um, we were so lucky to, to develop, um, very close relationships with crafts people all around the world. Um, from Spain to Italy to um, to, to Portugal to uh, and in, in the UK, obviously, and so that helps us to create our own design language. Um, 
and um, and vintage is very important for us as well. We are we'd love to be involved in projects where vintage can have a place, um, and we go to the markets ourselves and we source it ourselves. And often, if it's a residential project, then the clients are coming with us as well. Um, so for us, it's 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 about you know it's about trying to put ourselves in in the clients the customers shoes and and create trying to create an, ex, an interesting experience it's um it's about you know trying to create a space that where you feel embraced and and um, you feel this strong character behind it um i think the best hospitality places are the ones where you know, you have the legendary um, maitre d' um, who goes around and says hello to everyone and knows your name by heart and um, and or a receptionist who, you know, has your p- favorite drink in the room already before you arrive because he knows you so well. You know, it's that personal touch that, you know, you don't you can't necessarily achieve with stuff all the time, but trying to do that with design. It's the it's the it's the details that gives you um, a memorable experience. Mm. You just mentioned buying vintage, and I think it's quite clear that this sort of uh, inclusion of one-off and unique pieces in your work uh, is obviously quite important. And I wanted to ask you about that process. You know, th- over the last two years or more now, through uh, multiple lockdowns and other COVID-related restrictions, how did you find that process of sourcing these, uh, you know, interesting one-off pieces for projects? Did, was it? Did you just shift that process to online, or how did that work for you? <laughs> yeah, it was incredibly difficult. Um, we just finished the hotel. Um, in the Southern Highlands in Australia. And the process started right at lockdown and it just opened. So the whole sourcing, designing, um, installing um, process was done during the pandemic. And I could only go to one vintage fair here in the UK during the whole process. So I had to resort back to my, you know, my contacts who I collected over the years. And luckily, um, they still had pieces. And uh, we would just, you know, he would, they would send me stuff on WhatsApp, I would brief them about, you know, the design of the type of pieces, the dimensions that we're looking for. And they would just send me send me and I would say yay or nay. And um, I just had to trust them to <laughs> to deliver to the to the expectations. Um, um, we um, we sourced for this for this um, hotel in 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 in, sun, in the Southern Highlands. We we sourced vintage from all around Europe and and the UK. And we had two warehouses, one in London and one in Paris. And so all the pieces that were coming from Italy or pa- or, or France, we would collect them in, in Paris. And and the ones from the UK, we would have them in London. And, yeah, it was super frustratingly difficult, but um, we just had to make it work. There was just no other way because there were no vintage fairs whatsoever. And um, and online shopping, I found that in general quite frustrating um, because of the lead times and um, it's so impersonal and especially, you know, I didn't want to risk any like my clients, you know, money and and uh, trust. And I just um, I just turned to to sellers directly who I knew who I met over the years in the in the markets. Mm, that's a good little tip. 
Um, so I have just one more question for you, even though I would quite like to chat for much longer, but I, I don't want to take up all of your um, start <laughs> of your day. My, my last question relates uh, specifically to the future of hotels, I guess. Uh, there's been a lot of talk and speculation lately about, you know, what hotels will look like and perhaps the role that they may play in a post-pandemic world. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you think that they need to function differently and perhaps play a different role in our communities? Do you see, you know, the fundamental design of a hotel changing? Um, you know, have you had any specific requests from clients? Is it something that you're already incorporating into your work? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, my direct experience with clients is that um, at the, during the pandemic and right, right after the lockdowns, we had some requests about, you know, smaller, um, more intimate spaces, like in terms of to be able to separate smaller groups from, from larger groups um, or, um, you know, more uh, hygienic surfaces in some areas. Um, but overall, in general, this doesn't come up too often, to be honest. Um, in terms of brief, we haven't received different briefs um, post-pandemic than, than we would have had before. Um, what I do think is that, you know, people are definitely more health conscious and, um, and it's something that perhaps is, um, is something that might, you know, it will, it will, um, appear in, in, in hotel design as well, in terms of being able to, you know, work out in your room or, or have, you know, more um, healthier choices um, in your mini bar or, um, you know, a more uh, hygienic or a cleaner um, room that you can you feel more comfortable staying at. Um, perhaps resorts will be more of um, um, in demand because um, obviously these are spaces that uh, are more secluded and and um, even if you're going with the larger groups you can you can you have your own space um, maybe um, suites that you know all self-contained um, have a bigger you know reach but in general I don't see a huge shift um, from where I am now <laughs> I don't know if, if it's something that you experience in Australia um, and perhaps it's something that might come to us later but at the moment um, I can't see major major shifts in in our approach yet. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think you know the conversations that I've had. It seems to be fairly similar to what you're saying. So I think we'll probably start to see some of the same, you know, minor changes in some areas rolling out um, across the board. But yeah, yeah. I mean, look, um, I just I just went to Maison Objet, um, the, the design fair in Paris, right after the lockdown, uh, which was in March, and. You know, people were just so happy to be able to sit outside shoulder to shoulder in the brasseries on the streets. I think um, in a way, you know, we, we would just want to forget about it and being able to go back to normal in a way and, and, and live their lives as, as they used to and um, embrace social interactions and, and physical interactions. And I think um, people just want to forget about all this that's just happened. So. Yeah, I, I can't see any major changes yeah. all around Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. I think everyone's very keen to put this behind us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, on that note, I, I want to say thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one in thinking that we're you know, very much looking forward to seeing the work that comes out of your studio um, and any projects that you have in the pipeline. 
Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you.